going here. I think I have everything going. Good to see everybody today. We've got uh, Jeff Smeltzer down in Exton, PA. Hi, Jeff. How you doing? Hello, Jeff. Uh-oh. Did he step away? Scott, I see you. Oh, wait a minute. There's Jeff. Hi. But hey, sorry, okay, forgot, there you go. I forgot to turn my camera and mic on. Okay, hey, that'll do it. That'll good do afternoon it. To everyone watching. Good. Good to see you. Scott, good to have you here today. And you did the same thing. You didn't turn on your <laughs> microphone. It's genetic. <laughs> sorry. Well, no sense being twins if you can't act. Well, you're not twins. Anyway. <laughs> Glad to have you both with us today. Um, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, and we have a number of people signing in, coming in on the Zoom app, we're really glad you're joining us. The Zoom app gives you the opportunity to uh, click on the audio, if you, well, the hand button if you want to come in using your audio to ask us a question, like a regular talk show. Or you can text in your questions and comments in the Q&A box, or even the chat. We have both the chat and the Q&A coming in on the Zoom app. We're also broadcasting or web, webinar casting on the um, Bible Quest YouTube channel, and we're monitoring, monitoring that as well. So you can put your comments in, in the box, in the proper box, in the comment box there. So we have, a, I guess you could say this is a one sense. It's a controversial subject. Um, the title of it is, and I, okay, well, decades Decades of Nitty's Peace Plan. We're going to discuss. Are we going to discuss the peace plan? No, no, we're not going to discuss the peace plan. But the peace plan does provide some background. A lot of people have heard for decades now about negotiations in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And there's a connection to some Bible history. Um, and so we want to talk about that. But just setting the stage. I remember Henry Kissinger, when Nixon was president, involved in negotiations in the Middle East. Uh, later on, of course, you had uh, Gerald Ford and then Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter won, I think, a Nobel Peace Prize for his role in um, trying to negotiate peace in the Middle East between the Israelis and the Palestinians. And those of you who are our age will remember Yasser Arafat. And, uh, you know, and some other names would come to mind for a lot of people. And then uh, Clinton, of course, was trying to negotiate peace over there. And, and really, for decades, every president that's come along, this has been something that he's dealt with. So the question that we want to talk about is, what is, is there some history behind this that goes back to Bible times? And the fact is, there is. The, the Israelis, some of the Jews, uh, lay claim to some prophecies or some statements in the Bible, God made Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as a foundation for their right to that land. We're not here to decide who should live in that land today, but there is some doctrine. There are some teachings that are very prevalent in evangelical churches that are tied in with this. And that's what we want to talk about. And so let me just remind everyone, people are still coming in on the uh, webinar. Uh, the webcast. Uh, use the uh, Zoom app for your text if you want to comment on the uh, discussion or you want to use your audio, your computer audio, you can come in that way too. Just your audio, your, your video won't be available. Uh, if you want to talk with us on the phone, um, just click the, hot, the, the hand icon on, the, um, on the, the Zoom app. 
Okay. W were you going to go somewhere with that, Scott? No. No, no, okay. go ahead. So, Jeff, where we go? Well, you know what? Let's first of all, I, I will throw up a map here um, and let's just talk about um, let's just talk about the uh, the land that we're talking about, first of all. So let's see if I can share, if I remember how to share a screen here. There we go. And so this is just a little timeline of the Bible story. And you start out, you have Adam and Eve, and then everything was good. And then the first sin, and then the world becomes so corrupt, God brings the flood. And then you have Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. Abram is the guy we better know as Abraham. Yeah, Abraham. So um, it, Jacob's other name is Israel. And so his descendants, of course, are called the Israelites. Israelites. There you go. So J Abram settled in this land. It's known as the land of Canaan. At that time, the Canaanites lived in that land. And God made some promises to him. And I think it'd be good if we go back to Genesis chapter 12 and read the promises. So I'm going to turn to Genesis chapter 12. One of you beats me there. Um, we have promises in the early verses, but especially we want to notice verses 5 through 7. All right, verse five. Uh, you don't want one through three? Sure, get one through three then. Okay. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So we have a land promise, a nation promise, and then a blessing to all families of the earth promise. And it's worth, since you mentioned that blessing to all families of the earth, it's worth noting that in these promises especially when we look at that blessing that all families would be blessed in Abram and, and ultimately through his descendants. It's especially talking about his descendant, Jesus. But this promise about the land, um, we come down to verses 5 through 7. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and thus they came to the land of Canaan. And Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And so right there you have this, this promise upon which basis there are Jews today who say that they have the right to that land. They're descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and this was promised to Abraham, and, and it's repeated in Genesis chapter 26 to Isaac, and it's repeated in Genesis 28 to Jacob, that their descendants would get this land. So that's the background um, that we see here, and, and we're not really, well, let's just, let's just move forward with this. Um, was this fulfilled? Yeah, I think it was. Uh... Doesn't Joshua make that claim at the end of his chapter, at the end of Joshua, uh, the, that book? Joshua 21 would be a passage that talks about uh, that. So just on our map here, and um, we'll jump forward in time, and we see Abram's descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants are living in Egypt, and they become slaves, and Moses leads them out. They come out of Egypt, 
this is where Mount Sinai is generally thought to have been. There's some competing theories, but for our purposes, the important thing is they journeyed from Mount Sinai up to toward Canaan, spent 40 years in the wilderness before finally coming around, and, and then Joshua, Moses' successor, leads them into the land of Canaan, and the story of the conquest of Canaan is told in the book of Joshua. So you get to Joshua chapter 21, and it's going to be verses uh, um, 43 through 45. Drew, do you have it? 21 yeah. through 45? Uh, Joshua uh, speaking, thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to his fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the, actually, this is not Joshua speaking, this is the commentary on it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had, had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And, and one more passage that we might uh, mention here in this connection is in Nehemiah, the ninth chapter, verses 7 through 9. And it says, Thou art the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out from Ur of the Chaldees and gave him the name Abraham. And thou didst find his heart faithful before thee and didst make a covenant with him to give him the land of the Canaanite, of the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Perizzite, and the Jebusite, and the Girgashite, to give it to his descendants. And thou hast fulfilled thy promise for thou art righteous. So here's the thing. Today, a lot of evangelicals, uh, when I say evangelicals, I'm talking about conservative Protestants. A lot of them have been teaching for decades that the Jews still have this right to this land because it was promised to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, and that uh, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to reign on earth and he's going to set up shop over there in Jerusalem in that land. And therefore, Christians should support uh, in this modern political debate, they should take the side of the Israelis. And, and, you know, for my purposes, it's neither here nor there as to who gets that land. I'm sure if, if you had friends who lived over there, you would be concerned about who gets that land and all of that. But the question is, from a biblical perspective, is, is that promise, does that promise have any meaning in a physical way today? Does the promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that their descendants would get that land, does that have any significance in a physical way today? And then secondly, does it have any significance in a spiritual way today? And we'll have to define what that means. So at that point, this kind of becomes an open-ended discussion, and we can talk about that. So there are some people then, are you saying that don't believe that that's been fulfilled, where it says, like, and you have kept your promise? Well, sometimes they'll say it's not been fulfilled, and I guess sometimes they'll say, well, it was fulfilled initially and that they got it but then they lost it. Of course, Nehemiah says, then they got it again. Uh, but some would say, but God means for them to have that land forever, and so they need to keep that land. Um, and so that's, that's the question I think we want to work on is, is God intending today, or at least has he told us in Scripture, that he intends for the Jews to live in that land today? Forever. And, and forever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where would where would one get that uh, from Scripture that it was intended to be forever? 
I think a lot of this relates to premillennialist misconceptions of the Old Testament, which, by the way, somewhat matched the Jewish uh, perceptions of the Old Testament. So uh, Charles Ryrie, uh, Jeff, I remember when we were in high school, a lot of people had Ryrie study Bibles, uh, if you remember those. Yeah, sure. Yeah, Charles sure. Ryrie was at Dallas Theological Seminary, right. Southern Baptist. Uh-huh. And, can you guys hear me? Yeah, yes. So Charles Ryrie was an influential uh, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary Baptist. And he did the Ryrie Study Bible. He wrote a book, The Basis for the Premillennial Faith. And in it, he goes through and he says, John the Baptist was preaching an earthly national Davidic kingdom. So when John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he meant uh, a Jewish kingdom with a Jewish king on earth, uh, descendant of David here on earth, national and, and on earthly. And he says that when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom is at hand, he's talking about the same thing. When Jesus sent out the apostles, he's talking about the same thing. And Ryrie says, they were that they're talking about the same thing the Jews were expecting, an earthly national Davidic kingdom. And, and if that's so, then that really puts Jesus in the position as being a threat to Roman rule in Palestine. And so then the modern theory that Jesus got crucified because he was opposing the Roman in a, Romans in a political way, then that would seem to hold clout. So it's kind of ironic. You get the liberal theology and the extreme conservative theology of the premillennialists, they, they come together in that point. Except for Matthew 11. Schofield and Ryrie, Schofield particularly says that Jesus is promising and offering to set up an earthly national kingdom until Matthew 11. Schofield says that's the pivotal point. Is that right? I did not realize that he made Matthew 11. So Schofield was, is the guy behind the Schofield Reference Bible right. that came out decades before the Ryrie Study Bible. That Schofield <laughs> Reference Bible goes back 100 years. And if you look at the Schofield Bible in Matthew 11, you know, where he's woe unto you, Beth Seder, Fars, et cetera. In Matthew 11, it says this is a pivotal point. This is where Jesus turns from offering to be an earthly king and turns to the cross. And Ryrie um, talks about, in fact, Ryrie says this, in the early ministry, Jesus was talking about setting up an earthly kingdom. And he says the Sermon on the Mount was a manifesto for the earthly kingdom and would have gone into effect if the Jews had accepted him as king. So, so Scott, if that's right, then Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross. Right. Uh, if, so if, if he hadn't died on the cross, how would we be saved? Right. What Ryrie would say is that the prophets didn't know uh, that God knew the Jews were going to turn Jesus down. And so that instead of setting up their earthly kingdom, this would happen. The prophets knew nothing about the church, they would say. And, and so what you have is, they, Ryrie says, Jesus faithfully offered to set up the earthly kingdom, but the Jews rejected him. 
So he turns, he pivots, and goes to the cross. Several things wrong with that. Uh, first off, when Jesus is born, what is Joseph told to name the child that's going to be born? Name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, not name him Jesus because he's going to set up an earthly king. Uh, Luke 19, Jesus means God is salvation or Yahweh saves. Luke 19.10, why did Jesus say he came? To seek and to save that which is lost. Yeah. And then also, if they say, you look at the prophets and you only see an earthly kingdom coming and all the prophecies with Israel ended and there's this big parentheses and it's put on hold. Yeah. No, you know, that if you say the prophets didn't see that coming, but because the Jews turned Jesus down, it got delayed. Question. What if when Jesus comes again, people just reject? Right. Well, of course, what they say then is they say, well, this time they won't reject him because he's going to miraculously convert all the Jews. Yeah. So they'll automatically be saved. But they say that last time the prophets pointed to the earthly kingdom coming and didn't know about the other, and you don't see it change until the end. So why couldn't that happen again? Right. Uh, so those, those are two of the problems. So, so back up, back up. So they say Matthew 11 is the turning point where Jesus, as you put it, pivoted and yes. decided to. So did Jesus, you say God knew. Do they say Jesus knew all along? I, I think they would say that Jesus knew also. But they say, Ryrie says that he faithfully offered to set it up, but the Jews turned it down. Let's look at John 6. How, how can yeah, That's not making sense to me. How can it well, be? I'm not, I'm not here to claim premillennialism makes sense. Okay. <laughs> oh, wait a second. Wait a second. How right. can it be said that Jesus faithfully offered to set up the kingdom? In other words, it was a legitimate offer. If, in fact, that would mean the, he is not put to death on the cross, and therefore there is no sacrifice to take away our sins, a sacrifice which, by the way, had been promised in the Old Testament. Yes. This idea that the church is not in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. uh, and, and <coughs> they talk about what, the, the, one image they use, they say it's like mountains and valleys. The prophets could see the mountain of the Messiah coming and the mountain of him setting up the kingdom, but they couldn't see the 2,000-year you know, valley in between. The 2,000-year so, being from the time of Christ's death till the coming of Jesus again yeah. in the future. Because at that time... When they were saying this, they thought that Jesus' coming was going to be like in 1980. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've got, I've got two books. One says, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come by 1988. Yeah. And the other one is, 101 Reasons Why Jesus Will Come in 1988. And there's one reason I bought both of those books before 1988, because I knew they wouldn't be in print after 1988. <laughs> uh, so, John chapter 6. Verse 15. Yeah. Um, so this is uh, after the feeding of the 5,000. Somebody read John 6, 15. Oh, okay. I was looking for one of my books, but I'll turn over to John chapter 6. And I, verse got 15. I got it. Uh, John 6, 15. Perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Yep. That's interesting. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I thought he was pivoting. <laughs> well, uh, 
they might have to pivot later, but the main point here is who's rejecting the idea of him becoming an earthly king? Jesus he is. is. Apparently right. the Jews wanted, they were accepting him to be the earthly king. Yeah, when they're want, he just fed them a bunch of food. They want him to be an earthly king, and he rejects that. John 18, 36, Pilate says, uh, um, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, do you say this of yourself, or did others say it concerning me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priest delivered unto me. What have you done? John 18, verse 36, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. Yeah, my kingdom is not of this world. Uh, and then let's look at one more, Luke 17, 20 and 21. Yeah. So Luke 17, 20 and 21, and being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God comes, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God comes not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo, here or there, for lo, the kingdom of God is within you. Or some translations would say, among you. So Jesus is talking about a spiritual kingdom. Uh, and it, it takes place in Acts chapter 2, where uh, Peter quotes Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord. That's, that's an inauguration psalm about the Messianic kingdom. Mm -hmm. uh, sit at my right hand. No, let, oh, let, let's look at that. Psalm 110. Yeah. Uh, premillennialism has all the enemies being defeated and th so death is defeated at the rapture then the antichrist is defeated and then the forces of evil are defeated in the battle of Armageddon and after all these defeats then Jesus begins to reign Psalm 110 and 1 Corinthians 15 are the exact opposite of that Psalm 110 the Lord says to my Lord, Yahweh says to Adon, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, until I make your enemies footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule where? In the midst of your enemies. Yeah, rule in the midst of your enemies. First uh, Corinthians 15 says Jesus reigns until all the enemies are defeated. And the last enemy to be defeated is, is death. 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 So, so, wait, but don't stop there. Go further. Go ahead. Isn't that the same verse? I don't have it open, but isn't that the same verse where it says, and then he turns the kingdom back to the yeah. Father? Right. Yes, sure. sir. So, so if we can kind of, con oh, go ahead, Scott, finish that up now. Yeah. I want to connect a couple of things you've said. Yeah, premillennials are expecting an earthly kingdom. And they also misinterpret the references to the destruction of Jerusalem to be the future in the New Testament. And so like uh, Hal Lindsey in his book, Lake Great Planet Earth, says the temple is going to have to be rebuilt so that it can be torn down to fulfill what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Well, no, Jesus is talking about when it was torn down. But you put all that together, and they've got this earthly kingdom idea. Ryrie says it's a historical fact that the kingdom didn't come, so that's why all of this stuff has to be. So you have to have the kingdom. You have to have this big parentheses postponement of dealing with the promises to Israel, and it's all put off into the future. And so then they think all this is necessary. So, so, wait, a minute, so wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jeff, before you go, 
he says it's a historical fact that the kingdom didn't come. Right. If you're talking about the physical kingdom, an earthly, yeah, an earthly kingdom. He's begun with assuming it has to be an earthly kingdom, whereas Jesus tells us it's not an earthly kingdom. Exactly. Exactly. So, so tying some of this together here, here's here's a little um, slideshow. Uh, premillennialism, the pre-tribulation dispensationalism version, you have the idea that God made these promises to Abraham. Another guy, we've mentioned Ryrie, we've mentioned Schofield. Another guy was a guy named Blackstone back in the early 1900s who wrote that Jesus would have set up the kingdom, meaning on earth, but they rejected and crucified him. Kind of what you were saying, Scott, a bit ago, uh, this idea he came and made a faithful offer to set up an earthly kingdom, but that plan got changed. Um, so then Jesus is crucified and ascends to the Father, and so that begins what the premillennialists describe as the church age. And this is the period when, Scott, you were talking about the Old Testament prophets looking into the future. And because there are mountaintops between where they are and the future, they can yeah. see the mountaintops, but they can't see the valley in between. And so the church age is the valley that they say is not predicted in the Old Testament. That's right. They say that the prophets saw maybe the crucifixion of Jesus and his future coming, but they didn't see the church age. So then they say the rapture at some point is going to happen, and that's when the church gets taken up to heaven. And a lot of people, if they're not real familiar with premillennialism, they've at least heard the idea of a rapture where some people go to heaven and a lot of other people are left behind. And there was a whole series of books and a series of movies called Left Behind, and that it's about the people who remain here on earth according to this doctrine. And, and then they believe, that 1 Corinthians 15 is describing that rapture. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, that, and, that, and that's, so we'll have to come back and make clear the point you were making a minute ago. But here's a, a picture from a premillennialist publication. I remember this. People being raptured. So there are people coming out of graves over here. The, this car is crashing because the driver and his passenger are getting raptured. This plane so is crashing. The left is driven by a non-saint. So right. That guy's not getting raptured. He's going to be left behind in this car here. So that's, that's their concept. And, and then they say, they, they tried to describe it like this. The newspapers the next day would say, multitudes missing, disaster strikes the earth, uh, police unable to control mobs, looting, panic and terror worldwide, um, hundreds of wrecks, drivers missing. So what they're, they're portraying is the idea that Jesus would come and take the faithful of the Gentile church, but then life on earth would go on, and what they say would happen is there would be seven years, and the Jews would all go back to the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They'd rebuild the temple. The Antichrist would come, and they'd It'll, think there's an ally. Be down again. Say what? Say what? The, the, Build the temple that will be torn down again to fulfill Matthew 24. Yeah, yeah. And then there would be an Antichrist who they said would start out as somebody who would appear to be an ally of the Jews and help them rebuild the temple. And then all of a sudden he'd turn out to be an agent of the devil. So then Jesus would come and there would be the battle of Armageddon and he would defeat uh, the enemies of his people and set up his reign in Jerusalem for a thousand years. And, and thus fulfill the promise to Abraham that his descendants would get the land. So now the Jews would finally live on earth for a thousand years. 
So that's kind of how all that goes together. Uh, so the promise to Abraham being fulfilled there. Now, you were saying in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is to reign until the last until the same that's the death is defeated in the resurrection, but they've got the resurrection taking place at the rapture here. And then Jesus begins his reign. Right. In fact, these last Jesus said in John six, believers will be raised on the last day. Yeah. Last day in first Corinthians 15, the believers will be raised at which trumpet? The last trumpet. And uh, Christians will be raised from the dead when which enemy is defeated? The, the last enemy. The last, enemy. the last day and the last trump and the last enemy before all the trumpets of Revelation, all the days of the thousand years and plus seven years, and all the enemies of the Antichrist in, in Armageddon. Yeah, they've got believers being raised right here and overcoming death right here, but there's still seven years plus a thousand years to go with lots of stuff to happen, including enemies being defeated. So more death during that thousand years. All right. Will there be death also going on during that thousand years? You know, I'm that's true. Sure agreed on that or not. Yeah, they, I'm, I'm not sure I ever get the same answer about that either. Okay. All right. Well, okay. So one of the things you said early on, Scott, in the webcast this afternoon, you said one of the problems is they misunderstand the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Did you say that? Uh, similar, that they misunderstand what the key, from their idea from the Old Testament about the kingdom, which does speak in very earthly terms. They take it literally, as did the Pharisees, and miss the point. Can we take just a minute to talk about the fact that in the Old Testament, there are a lot of things described, spiritual things that are not earthly, but they're described using earthly language. Can Go we ahead, take a minute to talk about that? Yeah. I, I mean, you, you think about the idea of the temple. In the Old Testament, they had a tabernacle, and it was, it was a tent made with hands. And it was replaced by a temple that Solomon built, which was destroyed. But the Jews coming out of captivity got busy rebuilding it. But while they were rebuilding that temple, that physical temple, Zechariah, the prophet, and this is going to be in Zechariah, the sixth chapter, uh, says, um, Zechariah 6, uh, Verse 11, he is told, take silver and gold and make an ornate crown and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Put a crown on the head of a priest, which harks back to Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, and looks forward to Jesus, who's going to be a king and a priest. Verse 12, then say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, a man whose name is Branch. And that's, a, that's language from the Old Testament talking about the king who's going to sprout from the trunk of the tree of the house of Jesse, uh, the new king that's going to come, the branch, for he will branch out from where he is, and he will build the temple of the Lord. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and who will rule, and, and who will bear the honor, and sit and rule on his throne. Thus he'll be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace, and the council of peace will be between the two offices, king and, and priest. This is talking about Jesus coming, and not only is he going to be king, but he's going to be priest, and he's going to build the temple, the house of the Lord. Now, premillennials think that that means some future temple 
in, um, in, in a future age after the rapture and all of that. But when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus building a temple. He says, I will build my church in Matthew chapter 16. And then you get over to, Matt, uh, to the book of Ephesians, and, and the church is described as his body, which is made up of Jews and Gentiles. And they together are a habitation for God, a holy temple. Let me get the language. It's in Ephesians chapter 2 and the last couple of verses, verse 21, 22. Well, verse 20, 21, and 22. Uh, after saying, you are the house of God, he says, being built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom each several building fitly framed together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, you Gentiles, are builded together for a habitation of God in the Spirit. So there was this concept in the Old Testament of God dwelling in the midst of his people, having a house in his people, and it was represented in a physical way in the tabernacle and the temple, but it anticipated a spiritual reality, and Jesus accomplishes that in the church. That, I think, is so characteristic of what we see, Old Testament things anticipating New Testament things, but the Old Testament used physical things like a physical tabernacle and physical temple to anticipate spiritual things like the house of God, which is his people, the church. And that ties in exactly what Jesus said, that it's not of this world and it can't be observed. So that's not a physical entity. What does does John the Baptist say about Jesus in John 1, verse 29? He says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. In the Old Testament, there was a literal lamb. Jesus is not a literal lamb, but he is the fulfillment of the literal lamb. And the and physical the lamb theory, anticipated that. Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, along with Ephesians 2, let's just listen to this from 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2, verse 3. If you have tasted that the Lord is gracious unto whom coming a living stone, rejected indeed of men, but with God elect, precious, you also as living stones are built up to a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then it gives the quotations from the Old Testament. Because it is contained in Scripture, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He that believeth on him shall not be put to shame. For you, therefore, that believe is the precious, but for those that disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, the same was laid the corner. Now, if you insist on taking it literally, oh, so it said there would be a, cor- a cornerstone. <laughs> But even look at the Old Testament prophecy. I'm going to lay a chief cornerstone. He that believes on him will not be put to shame. So right. even in the language there, it's, and he says it's a spiritual house. It could, be, spiritual. it could be Jesus and still be a literal stone because it could be petrified Jesus, I guess. I'm sorry. I want to go back also. It said spiritual sacrifices. So back to your chart, Jeff. When the temple is built according to the premillennialist theory, are there going to be physical sacrifices? They said there were. The many premillennialists would argue, yes, when Jesus came back and and comes back in the future and sets up this supposed kingdom on earth, that you'd have the whole Jewish system back in place. 
you would have animal sacrifices, you'd have the Levitical priesthood reestablished, the physical temple. And so they really don't get that those physical things in the Old Testament, in the language of the book of Hebrews, are shadows, copies, figures looking forward to something that is not made with hands. If we could get this language from Hebrews, the uh, 10th chapter, verse 1, the law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image. So the physical temple, the physical animal sacrifices, even the physical land was a shadow of good things to come, not the very image. The, the good things to come would be spiritual. They would be different. And I think that is a concept premillennialists miss. And so maybe we can ask this question now. Is there a significance uh, to the land promise in a spiritual sense? Is there a sense in which those Old Testament promises of God's people getting the land has spiritual meaning today? As has it, does it have something to do with inheritance? Yeah, well, Scott's got his hand up. I don't know why you don't just say something, Scott. We never stopped you before. <laughs> <laughs> in Luke, there's a passage... Um, and, and there, there's two passages I'm going to read, and I don't know everything about them. And what, they say what they say. And what's the reference? What's the reference? Luke chapter uh, 21. They say what they say, and the, this is not uh, in support of premillennialism, but there is a reference here when, the, when uh, uh, Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. Uh, and that temple is no longer necessary. And by the way, after this, I'd like to, us to hit two points. One is, before we wind up time, where is Jesus's, where does Jesus rule from during his kingdom? And did the one place in the Bible where it mentions a thousand-year reign, who was it that started reigning? Then I'd like to hit that before. We okay, so we got less than seven minutes. So make the point you're making from Luke 21, and then I want to make a point from Zechariah 13 about the land, and then let's get to those. All right. In Luke 21, where Jesus is he's pointed out that the disciples were looking at the temple and so magnificent that look what stones he said, these stones are all going to be torn down, every one of them. Your enemies are going to come in, destroy them. Of course, this happened in 70 AD. Verse 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded with armies, then let her know that her desolation is at hand. Then let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them that are in the midst depart out. Let no, not those that are in the country enter therein. And, of course, it's fulfilled in 70 AD. Verse 24, they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations. Were many people killed then? Yes. Were people taken into slavery? Yes. You don't have to rush. You make at this point. All right. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So here is a reference to the fact that Jerusalem was to be destroyed and would be occupied by Gentiles until that time was fulfilled. So um, talking about the land and, and the idea we started out with, there's this promise of the land to Abraham's descendants. And, and I would say that that promise too, like everything else in the Old Testament, is a shadow of good things to come. In Zechariah 13, it says this, starting in verse 1. 
in that day, which is language that you often see in the prophets, and often it's referring to the Messianic age, and it is here, when the Christ would come in the first century. In that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for impurity. So fountain, cleansing fountain for sin and impurity. Obviously, verse 1 is referring to what great event in history? Crucifixion. Yeah. And it will come about, verse 2 says, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets in the context it's false prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. I don't think he's saying that the physical land would no longer have false prophets or unclean spirits or idols when Jesus died on the cross. I think he's talking about the spiritual habitation of God's people so that David could say in Psalm 37, 11, the humble will inherit the land which can also be translated earth, but it's talking about the promised land, but the promised land foreshadowing the spiritual habitation of God's people. And Jesus quotes this in Matthew 5, 5, when he says the meek shall inherit the earth. But the idea is the land, the land has been promised, but the spiritual realization that was foreshadowed by the physical land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, go ahead and get, let's get to the two points you wanted to get to. Okay, yeah, real quickly, in the chart that we see there, we're told Jesus's kingdom didn't come. He said it was going to come. He offered for it to come, but it didn't come because it's assumed he's talking about an earthly kingdom where he reigns in Jerusalem. That didn't happen, so they have to put it off in the future. Two things on that very quickly. First off, Acts chapter 2. We read Psalm 110 before. Peter quotes it on the day of Pentecost when he declares that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. And notice where he reigns. Verse 33, being therefore by the right hand of God exalted, having received the Father, the promised Spirit, he has poured forth this, which you see in here. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he said himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit on my right hand till I make your enemies to put stool of your feet. So that puts Jesus reigning right here instead right, of waiting right, to right. here. And it's not quoted in Acts 2, but if you go back to Psalm 10, he says, rule in the middle of your enemies. Mm -hmm. So you've still got enemies on earth, but he reigns from heaven. Mm -hmm. And let all the house of Israel therefore know surely God has made him Lord and Christ, anointed one, this Jesus who you crucified. And then lastly, the thousand-year reign uh, comes uh, is a misunderstanding of Revelation 20. That's the only passage where it uses the term thousand years in connection with a reign. Yep. And I just want to point out real quickly two things. This is not when Jesus began reigning in the book of Revelation. And it never says it's on earth. It's after the destruction. We don't have time to discuss the beast and the false prophet. Um, I'll say I think the beast has to do with the Roman Empire that was uh, in its campaign of persecution against the early Christians. But after they're defeated and cast into the lake of fire, the devil is not cast into the lake of fire. He's restrained. Uh, so that he cannot do what he's been doing. And it describes, it describes the martyred saints. And it says this, um, verse uh, four, I saw the thrones and they sat upon them. Judgment was given to them. Remember back in chapter six, it talked about the martyred saints under the altar. Yep. 
and they're saying how long to wear a bench. Now they've been a bench, and it says now they live and they reign with Christ a thousand years. That's at the end of verse four. Mm -hmm. They reign with Christ a thousand years. A, it doesn't say they reign on earth. B, this isn't when Jesus began reigning. In the book of Revelation, Jesus began reigning way back in chapter 12. Chapter 12, remember? Mm -hmm. You've got the contest. There's the dragon about to attack the pregnant woman, about mm -hmm. to give her Jesus. He fails. Jesus ascends to the right hand of God. Thus, Satan is defeated, cast out of heaven, and he's angry, and he goes down to the earth, and there's rejoicing, and the angels say, now is come to salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. So the kingdom, Jesus began reigning in chapter 12. Chapter 20 is when these martyred saints reign with him. So that's, that's well, that's, that's helpful. Reigned. Yeah, that's helpful, Scott. Okay. You got it in. Excellent, guys. That was a lot of material to get in that short time period. If anyone is in our audience, our listening audience, or in the live audience, or on the podcast, when you download this in the future, uh, go to BibleQuest.tv and fill out the form on that page if you have comments, questions, or you want to come back with some other opposing thoughts or views to this. Maybe we're missing something. We'd love to hear from you. Please give us your thoughts and comments at BibleQuest.tv. Gentlemen, thank you very much. We look forward to seeing you guys next week. Bye-bye.